Well, it's great to stand here amongst these two families who have brought their sons to um, be dedicated this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we welcome these children and their families. We want to welcome you, John and Joan, Riley. We want to welcome you, Shane and Nairi and Samuel as well. Um, Jesus welcomed children. He was often uh, found when the kids weren't an interruption to him. And uh, he, he loved to spend time with them and to bless them. And these parents are here with their children today and they're coming before Jesus. And as, as Jesus was presented in the temple by his parents, they here, are here this morning to present their children before God and to give thanks for their children's birth, to ask God's blessing on their lives and to commit themselves to fulfilling the responsibility of parents that will bring their children up to love and to know God. As a church, we're here this, this morning to welcome them into our family and we're going to welcome them just as Jesus welcomed children. We're also going to promise as a church together that we will support and help to do all that we can to encourage these two boys as they grow up in this family. Let's read together. Uh, let me read to you what uh, God's word says in Mark chapter 10 and verses 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. This morning, as we come to this time of dedication, let's pray for these two boys and uh, let's lift them up, giving thanks. Let's pray together. Dear God, our Father, we praise you. You're the creator of all things. You are the giver of all life. You are the father of each person. And God, we give you great thanks this morning with joy for the precious gift of new life that you've given these two baby boys, Riley and Samuel. For all that you have given and will give to us through them. For all the potential of their new lives. For the love that they have awakened. And for the care which surrounds them. We give you great thanks and praise. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, firstly, this morning, Riley, we're going to come to a time when we um, present and dedicate him this morning. And as part of that, we'd just like to ask Claire, who's actually Joe's sister. She's going to come and read a Bible reading, which um, John's sister, I think, suggested from overseas. So. Let's uh, welcome Claire as she comes to read to us now. Thank you. Here's Riley's nana instead, I think. Claire has a sore throat, so I'm the grandma and I've been asked to do it. <laughs> the following passage has been chosen by Riley's aunt, who lives in Ghana, as a prayer for his life. She's very sad that she couldn't be here. I'm reading from the message, Ephesians 1, starting from verse 12. Ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear, so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him, endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. 
and not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. May Riley be blessed by these words. Amen. Great. Well, now I'd like to ask uh, you, John and Joe, and maybe if you just come this way so we can hear your responses. Let me ask you these questions as parents of Riley. John and Joe, do you thank God for the gift of Riley and do you accept the joys and duties of parenthood, promising to give love and care to your child? We do. Great. And do you promise to bring Riley up within the Christian community and to share your own faith with him? We do. Great. Well, now if I can just take Riley from you, let's hope this works well. (laughs) It was his birthday yesterday, is that right? So that's great. (laughs) Well, Riley Sillins. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. And church, I'm going to ask you this question, and if you agree, will you just say loudly, we do, okay? Church, do you promise to offer Riley and his family your love and care and to join with his parents in sharing our Christian faith with him? Great. Well, would you just stand as we pray for Riley? Let's pray for him. Loving God, we pray for this child and for his family. May they know the challenge and comfort of your love. And may they see its power at work in their lives and in their home. Oh God, take all that we offer to Riley our care, our wisdom, and our mistakes, and through them reveal yourselves, yourself. God, take the experiences which Riley will have, and through them will you speak to him your gracious word. And God, as Riley grows in body and in mind and in spirit, feed and guide him by your spirit. Bring him safe through childhood and youth, and lead him to a point where he declares that you, Lord Jesus, are Lord. And now Riley John Sillins, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Great. Wasn't he fabulous? Please take your seats, it's great. We just want to, so why don't you just stay if you can, whatever you like, you don't, yes, yeah, here you go, whatever you like. And now we come to the Miller family and we want to um, just ask for your friends, you've got some good friends, Bruce Code and Rowena Mansell, if you could just come up now too, that would be great. So Bruce is Nairi's brother. It's good to see you, Bruce. If you just stand back there. G'day. And uh, Rowan is a close fam- family friend as well. So now let me just ask these questions to you as parents. And uh, i just ask you these questions, Shane and Nairi. Shane and Nairi, do you thank God for his gift of Samuel, a brother for Jacob? And do you accept the joys and duties of parenthood Promising to give love and care to your child? We do. Great. And do you promise to bring Samuel up within the Christian community and to share your own faith with him? We do. We do. Great. Great. Now I want to ask you, Bruce and Rowena, these questions. As uh, special friends, you always play an important part in their lives, and we want to ask these questions to you now. Bruce and Rowena, will you seek to love and encourage Samuel as he grows and seek to provide appropriate support and care throughout his life to the best of your ability? We do. Great. We hear your words. And um, now 
Let me too take Samuel. Don't worry, mate. <laughs> Great. If he talks into the microphone, that's all right. <laughs> we want to say, Samuel Miller, welcome. We want to welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say again to you, church, remember just if you agree, say, we do. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you promise to offer Samuel and his family your love and care and to join with his parents in sharing our Christian faith with him? We do. Great. Well, again, can I ask you to stand as we pray together for Samuel? Let's pray. Oh, God, we want to thank you for this child, Samuel, and for his family. God, we ask that as they continue to be his parents and grow as a family, that you would challenge and comfort them with your love. God, we pray that they would see your love's power at work in their home and in their lives. God, we pray that you would take all that we offer, Samuel, our care, our wisdom and our mistakes, and through them we ask that you would reveal yourselves, yourself, God. Take the experiences which Samuel will have. And through them, God, we pray that you would speak your gracious word. Oh, God, as Samuel grows in body and in mind and in spirit, feed and guide him by your spirit. Bring him safe through childhood and youth and lead him to a point where he declares that you are Jesus. You are Lord. And now, Samuel Gregory Miller. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. I want to say congratulations too. And here's a certificate as well. Well done. Thank you. Great. Let's um, give thanks to God for the blessing. Well, I wonder if you don't have um, some little notes and you'd like the notes this morning, maybe if you could just put your hand up and I wonder if someone could bring those along. If you don't have a pencil to fill those in, you can put your hand up well and I wonder if someone could just run down the middle and, and put that up. Sorry to put that on you guys. Thanks, Ken. And maybe there's a few people over here and that would be great. Well, tonight, today we're going to be looking at how to have exceeding joy. That's the whole topic that we're looking at over eight weeks. We're up to week number two. And to, today we're going to be looking at how to smile while you're sinking. That would be good to learn, wouldn't it? How to smile while you're sinking. That's what we're going to be looking at. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be great for you to open up at uh, Philippians chapter 1. And we're just working through the book of Philippians. This is our second week. And uh, any, any week you can just pick up where you're going and read on to the next chapter and read ahead. It's kind of like you could be you know, advanced. You could be reading before our next um, week. That would be great. So if next week you just read... Uh, chapter 2, that would be great and you'd be well and truly prepared. I wonder what brings you the most pleasure in life? I wonder when you think about it, what is it that actually brings you the most pleasure in life? What fulfills and satisfies you more than anything else in the world? What, what would make you say, well, now that's what life is all about for me. I love this more than anything else, you might say. What is it that really helps you spring out of bed in the morning? Maybe we can look at it another way. We could say, um, what is it that these people that I'm about to uh, read out, what do you think they would find most pleasure in life? I'm going to put up some images on the screen and they're of people. First of all, if you know who it is, just shout it out. And then secondly, I wonder what, if you know what they would find greatest pleasure out of. Let's see. Anyone know who that is? Michael Schumacher. What do you think he gets greatest pleasure out of? Racing. racing. Ra car racing. Racing. <laughs> Eddie Maguire. What do you think he gets greatest pleasure out of? 
Money, football, media, whatever it is. Who knows who that is? Delta Goodrum. What do you think she gets most pleasure out of? Singing. What about this one? Lighten. Go. <laughs> what do you think he gets most pleasure out of? <laughs> tennis. I'll take tennis. <laughs> what about this one? Mother Teresa. That's right. What do you think she gets most pleasure out of? Helping people. Well, she's passed away now, but when she was alive, she did. I wonder if you were to flash up your photo next, you know, on the screen. And it was to come up there right, right in between Delta and Eddie. And we said, what about you? What gives you, what, what are you living for? What do you, what do you exist for? What, what do you get most pleasure out of in life? I wonder what we'd all shout out, what we'd say when it came to you. It's a very important question to ask, isn't it? Because when it comes about to knowing joy and exceeding joy in your life, it really evolves around what you think is most important and whether you're doing that or not. Leighton Hewitt, if tennis is his greatest thing, if he pulls a muscle and he can't play tennis anymore, his joy goes down. You know, we could take any one of those and, and, and look at those. And so we ask you today, what's your greatest pleasure in life? What is it at the very core of you? And does it bring you joy? You know, the setting of the passage that we have in front of us from Philippians is the, the Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus to Paul. And they'd sent, them to Paul because, they'd sent him to Paul because they'd actually heard that Paul was in need. And they may have heard that Paul was in prison. It's possible that they heard about that. And since Epaphroditus' departure, when the Philippian church had sent him off, they, they probably hadn't heard anything about Paul since they'd sent him off. So they may have really started to wonder, what's happening to him? Is his ministry at a standstill? Um, you know, perhaps he's depressed What's happening? I wonder, he's probably gone through all sorts of trouble. They were probably getting anxious. But the news that arrived when Epaphroditus brought the letter to the Philippians back to the church, that's the letter that we read now. And what we get in that story is that anything but a depressed Paul, anything but a, a Paul that is uh, dejected, anything but someone who, was, who was, had given up or was finding it difficult in, in the ministry, too much to bear. Next section of the book begins, you know, now I want you to know, I really, I, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters. He, wants, he, he says, I want you to know and I want to inform you of the situation. You've been worried about me. You've been concerned about me. You sent a Epaphroditus to me. And now I want you to let you know how everything's going. And he says this phrase here, he says, I want you to know that everything has happened, that has happened to me here, has helped to spread the good news. You know, the first principle that Paul's about to show to us is this, that God wants you and I to share the good news right where we are. And so Paul opens this section by actually explaining that. He, he, he opens first by re replying to them and informing them about how he is. He's going to show them that God wants you and I to share the good news right where we are. So Paul says this. He says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. Now, we could miss the significance of those few words that he starts off with if we rush too quickly over them. He says simply, what has happened to me? Maybe if you've got a pencil and you've got that, you might just circle that, um, uh, that phrase there in verse 12 that's on your outline. Everything that has happened to me. What had happened to Paul? What had happened to Paul that had helped to advance the gospel? Well, Paul, he's the man who wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. He wanted to go in order to testify of his faith before the emperor Nero. But instead, he actually wound up in Rome as a prisoner. 
He was a Roman citizen with every right to appeal to Caesar and await an audience before him. But instead, he was illegally arrested. Paul was illegally arrested in Jerusalem. He was misrepresented before the court. He was incorrectly identified as an Egyptian renegade. He was entangled in just red tape after red tape, of a, sort of caught up in the political machinery. And finally, he was granted a, a trip across the Mediterranean only to encounter a storm and to be shipwrecked. When he finally arrived in Rome, he was incarcerated and he was virtually forgotten for two years. And if we are to go today and we were to look up the word victim in the dictionary, it's possible that we might find a picture of Paul, you know, just looking there like that, because he had every right to call himself a victim. You know, he had every right to say, oh, look what's happened to me. Look how terrible things have gone. I've gone through thing after thing, and it's just shocking and ridiculous what happens to me. But then when Paul reflects on everything that has happened since being a, a, a prisoner and being imprisoned, he explains to the Philippian church, he's saying, in effect, you know, church, with God, there's no accidents. With God, there's no... Every turn, everything that I've faced has been another opportunity to share the gospel. Every opportunity, that, everything that's happened to me has helped to advance the gospel. You know, it says there this little term... Uh, spread the good news just in verse 12 there. You might want to underline that too. Spread the good news in verse 12. You know, the NIV says, advance the gospel. You know, instead of Paul's ministry being stopped while he was kept under guard, under house arrest, where he was chained day and night to, to guards, instead of that stopping his ministry, it actually helped to advance the gospel, to spread the gospel. You know, the, the Greek word there, uh, the word spread or to advance, is a word that's really specially used for uh, military. It's kind of a term for an army advancing through land that's uncleared, you know, and, and they'd have to hack away right through the, the bush and the grassland to get rid of all the undergrowth so they could actually make a way right through the bushland. You know, Paul was saying, instead of all these things being things that have stopped me, all these barriers that have stopped me from spreading the gospel, they've actually been things that have helped to cut away right through all the barriers that were stopping the gospel being advanced. And instead of it being bad for me, it's actually been good. So Paul's imprisonment, far from shutting a door, opened the door. Opened the door to new spheres of work and activity into which he'd never otherwise have been uh, would have been penetrated. I wonder if there's any situations like this in Australia today. You know, here's Paul in prison. You know, all these things have happened to him and he's saying, well, all this stuff is helping to advance the gospel. Is there any parallels in Australia today as we think about it? Well, I think there is. Uh, in fact, just recently there have been two pastors, uh, Danny Nalia and Daniel Scott, who actually ran a Christian seminar in Melbourne at, at uh, Crossway Baptist. And while they were there, some uh, Islam, Muslim people came in and they were offended by the things that they were saying about uh, Islam. They were, it was in a Christian church, in a Christian room, and they were explaining what the Quran said. Now, these people took them to court and there was a big, long case which took lots of money because we've got this uh, law in Victoria about religious a vilification law, which means that I can't say anything against somebody else's religion or I can be taken to court. So at the, at the start, it's, it seems like a very fair sort of uh, rule because we don't want to be slandering other people unnecessarily. I'm, I'm completely against that. I think everybody needs to have the right to express whatever faith they would like in whatever way. We want them to believe in Jesus. We want them to be followers of Christ, but we would never stop anyone else from believing what they want. We'd try and convince, we'd try and urge them and we'd pray that God would change them. But to say that, we don't want to do it. But this law was saying that anyone who actually talks about another faith in a way that they, they don't appreciate could be taken to court. So what happened was a court case began and these guys were found guilty they were found guilty of speaking in a way that caused offence to these Islam people in their own church, in their own premises. 
And so what these guys have, have said is, you know, um, th- th- this is something that's been uh, really preventing, uh, it's something that has the potential to prevent the gospel from spreading because what can happen is that anyone who talks about anything um, that's not to do with, 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 that's to do with another religion may find themselves in big trouble. And so what's happened right now is there's been a petition that's been signed as all the other states around Victoria are starting to consider whether they should introduce this legislation or not. And there's been a petition that's going around that is asking churches to sign. That's something that we can do, uh, to sign a petition to say that we would like this religious vilification law reversed. And you have an opportunity to do that. We want to make sure that that will be there um, at the information desk next Sunday morning. Okay, We'll have that for everybody. We'll have some tables right out if you'd like to do that. Because the most recent case that's come underneath that same law, religious vilification law, is this one. It just has just come about in the last week. Um, it's a, a, a legislation, a, a prisoner has actually brought an age, a, a case up now um, before the courts. And this is the complaint. The complaint's been made by Robin Fletcher and it's in relation to an alpha course run by the Salvation Army in Ararat jail. Uh, Fletcher is a prisoner there and he's a self-confessed witch who actually is in the Ararat prison and he, he's, been, he's in there in jail at the moment. And he actually participated in the Alpha course and when he found that it referred to witchcraft, uh, he took offence to that and is now taking the Salvation Army because the Salvation Army officer was the one that bought that and he's taking Alpha uh, to, to court as well and he's taking, so he, he's taking also the um, corrections, Victoria, as well to court. So all of those three are now getting caught up again and Christians are having to defend themselves. So this is uh, a time for us to act, isn't it? I, I think it really is because uh, the actions of Danny Nali and Daniel Scott in standing up and fighting the case has actually helped to bring world attention to the issue of this religious vilification law. And just two weeks ago in England, they were looking at the whole law and when they saw what had happened in Victoria with the case of Daniel Scott and Danny Nali, it had a great impact on them not going ahead with the law. So they saw what had happened and in this case and how it was preventing people from having free speech rather than, uh, you know, helping it. So, you know, it's a time for us, you know, if, uh, it's a really great time for us to stand up and to, and to be united together because these things that are happening, although they seem horrible and although they seem blockages, they may actually be the very things that help us advance the gospel more than we'd ever thought. So I want to encourage you next week, Salt Shakers, uh, the group that have put out this petition, and that will be there. We'll just put it in the news sheet and let you know that that'll be for everyone to sign next week as well if you'd like to do that. Um, I, I think about that and I think, I wonder... What else in my situation? What other situations in my life are being used? Because whatever I'm facing right now, whatever I'm going through, right where I am, God wants me to share the good news. And he wants other people to be affected by that. You know, Paul continues on. He says in in verse 13, he says, For everyone here, including all the soldiers in the palace guard, know that I am in chains because of Christ. So because of Paul's hardships for his suffering, because he was under house arrest, people were actually starting to find out all about his faith and they were starting to find out about the gospel. I wonder how that was happening. How was it that because, of, because Paul was there, that the whole palace guard was coming to know about it? Well, the palace guard, they were an elite group of soldiers. They were people who, uh, whose role it was to protect the emperor and they were being chained one by one to Paul. You know, like he's under house arrest, he was able to rent out a a home, but in that home he had to be chained to one of these elite palace guards. So while he's waiting trial, uh, every 24 hours a day they just take turns on being chained to Paul. And Paul, you know, I can imagine him just saying, this is unbelievable, they're chaining people to me. (laughs) You know, they can't get away, (laughs) you know. I can imagine him saying, this is incredible. Because, see, Paul would have been able to have guests and he would have been able to have people to come into the home and they'd be talking. He might have been dictating some of the letters that he was writing. He might have been sharing some of the things. And, and all the time, these guards are having to hear and listen to what's going on. They were having to you know, understand and find out what, 
what was, what was going on. And Paul's saying, what a great opportunity. There were possibly times right when they were chained to him that he actually shared with them the gospel right through. Perhaps there were opportunities where people asked questions who were the guards. And what happened is as these soldiers went back to their whole elite group, they started to talk about Paul and it became known right around that Paul was in prison because of the gospel, that his chains, he was chained because of the gospel. I wonder in your life, who are you chained to? When you first say, no, I'm not chained to anyone, Jonathan. But perhaps there are people that God has just almost like chained you to so that you're with them all the time. Perhaps the person who you work next to at work and you think, most people would think, what a headache to be next to them 24 hours a day. You know, maybe they're a bit difficult to get on with. Maybe most people wouldn't want to be with them, but you find that you have to sit next to them every day, almost all the time, and this is a great opportunity for you, rather than complaining about it, is to show the love of Christ in your, in your life and when opportunities open, arise, open up, to share with them the good news. Perhaps some of you are thinking, oh, boy, I'm a career woman and I've got these kids. You know, I, I, I love my kids, but really I've just got to do the parenting thing for a while because I want to get back to my career. And you don't realise that God's actually given you these kids that right 24 hours a day you can be building into their life and sharing the gospel with them, helping them to grow up as people that would love Jesus. Now you might be thinking that's a burden, but it may be the best opportunity. You may find that you've, you know, you're unemployed or your circumstances haven't worked out just as you wanted. You may find that you've got a sickness that has caused, you know, most people would cause great grief, but this could be the very thing that Paul is talking about that God wants to bring about so that the gospel is advanced. Who are you chained to? Who are you chained to? It might not be someone, you might not have realised the opportunities that are right before you. Not only does Paul recognise that all this has happened and advanced the gospel, not only because of that, people are all starting to hear about it. Paul goes on in verse 14 and he says, hey, many people here, are actually starting to, he says in verse 14, and because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians here have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ. That's on your outline there. You might just want to underline there, have gained confidence and become more bold. Bold and Boldness and confidence is what other people were getting because of that. And Paul's chains... Paul's boldness, Paul's confidence in sharing the gospel, no matter who they chained to him, had actually encouraged others to believe, uh, to, to preach God's word more boldly, with more confidence. You know, I, I think that happens today so often. There are so many wonderful organisations and mission groups that help us to understand the suffering, the persecution, the challenges that Christians are facing all over the world today. You know, the voice of the martyrs bring out regularly uh, prayer letters that can help us to understand all the suffering, all the things that are going on in uh, Christians that are being persecuted all over the world. You know, there's a great book out, which, w- which would be a great one to read, and I'm sure it'll be out there in the library called The Heavenly Man. And it's about a man, a Christian man, who has been suffering under China, in, in a Chinese house church under, and, and the way that he's been persecuted and suffering because he's been living for Christ. You know, when we read things like this, I feel more bold and confident. I think no one's trying to kill me here. No one's trying to persecute me in, here in, in Australia. So what an opportunity to be bold and to be confident and to, and to press on and to move out. And this is what was happening. People were looking and they were saying, well, look at Paul. He's suffering for the gospel and yet he's just continuing on boldly, boldly and confidently. And you know what? People were getting bold and confident in sharing their faith. And they started to share. And the gospel was being advanced. Don't you want to be more bold when you hear about other churches, other people suffering, other brothers and sisters? Let's encourage each other to be bold because of it. Paul continues 
here and he says, he says in these next chapters, he shares with us that God wants you and I to keep focused on this good news which is advancing out. He says these in the next few verses. God wants you and I to keep focused on the good news. See, what was happening is people were getting bolder and more confident. The things that were going on is that people were starting to preach and they were preaching their hearts out. They were uh, being bold. Maybe some of them were doing it for wrong motives. It says in, in, this, in the passage there in verse 15, some are preaching out of jealousy and rivals. Some must have been looking at Paul and saying, look at all the attention he's getting. I could get that attention. I'll start preaching the gospel too, you know. Perhaps that's what they were doing. Some were uh, rivalries, thinking I'm better than Paul maybe or through other things. We don't know exactly. But they were preaching with uh, Christ with pure motives. Some were preaching with pure motives as well. Some with impure, some with others. And let's read from 16. They preach because they love me. For they know the Lord brought me here to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But whether or not their motives are pure, the fact remains that the message about Christ is being preached. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice, says Paul, for I know that as you pray for me and as the Spirit of Jesus helps me, this will turn out for my deliverance. You know, it seemed that as people saw Paul and his courage to share Christ regardless of his circumstances. Others began to preach too. Some of these, you know, completely wrong. Some of them out of love. But they preached. And Paul said, I don't care what, what reasons they're preaching for, what motivates them, what their motives are. The main thing I care is that Christ is preached. I feel challenged when I hear those words because I've got to be honest with you. There's been times in my life where I have criticised other churches. I, you know, there's been times when I've said silly things about other churches. I haven't had Paul's attitude here that says, you know, whether they preach for this motive or for that motive, the main thing is that Christ is preached. You know, haven't you heard comments about other churches quite often? You know, people say, oh, they're too charismatic. You know, or they're fundamental fruitcakes, you know, or, or they're just so conservative, you know, or m- maybe, maybe they say all they're ever interested in is money or, or you know, they, they've just got no idea. But you, you can name the issues that people talk about other churches. And Paul would say, I don't want to have anything of that. The main thing is if they're preaching the gospel and Christ is preached, then that's the main thing. Oh, boy, if I had known that when I was younger more hot-headed, <laughs> I would have saved damage. Now I realise that they might not be doing it the same as us, other churches. They might not even be doing it for the same motives that we have. They might be using different styles or different whatever. But, you know, Paul's saying he wants us to be focused on sharing the gospel. And God's saying to us today, don't focus on all the differences that different churches have and start criticising them or start criticising other people's ministries. No, don't spend all your energy doing that. People can spend a lot of time picking points and getting this and they don't say this, they don't do that. And you can find yourself spending your whole life, instead of growing in Christ and becoming more like Christ, you take your eyes off the advancing of the gospel and you become more of a criticiser, of other people that do it different from you. And Paul would never say, if people are distorting the gospel, don't, don't worry about it. No, he's in jail because of that. He's defending the gospel. You know, he's standing up because he wants people to know that Jesus Christ died for their sins, that he rose again and that he's alive and people can have a relationship with him. That Paul is, is, is adamant about that. You know, and that's why we want to say it's right to stand up when the gospel and its advancement is being stopped. When, you know, when the, the truth of God's word is being distorted. Absolutely. Oh, that's worth putting your neck on the line for. But when people are preaching the gospel with different motives, 
or with different styles or with different things and it's not quite to our liking, that's a good time when Paul would say, Man, just, just rejoice that Christ is being preached. Just rejoice that Christ is being preached. And Paul continues on in this chapter. As he thinks about his relationship with Christ and as he thinks about you know, keeping focused on the good news, he says, I just rejoice and find great joy whenever Christ is preached. So whether it's me or whether it's other people, I rejoice. And Paul, it's almost like he's getting so excited. He said, you know, I'm here sharing the gospel. It's been advancing the gospel. People are getting to know all about it. Some are preaching, uh, getting more bold and more confidence and Christ is being preached, even though some people got the wrong motive. But I'm just so thrilled that Christ is being preached and I rejoice because of that. And then he moves into this section where he, right in the very heart of the next few verses, he says, you know, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's caught right up in the joy of living for the gospel and living for Jesus. And he's saying, you know, whatever happens to me is so far secondary to living for Christ. Even death is secondary to living for Christ. And what he's saying here is that God wants you to live for Jesus and if need be, to die for him. Isn't that getting a bit fanatical, Paul? Saying that I should be prepared to die for him? Not at all. Paul realised that life was not all about just preserving yourself. You know, having a good income, being someone who's successful, being, you know, he realised that life was so much more about that. Life's a preparation for eternity. And that right now, the best way we could ever live our lives is living for Christ. Paul, Paul realised that. So he took his focus off his circumstances and he kept focus on the good news and on the fact that Jesus Christ was alive and that he was now living for him. You know, he, he, he continues on here. And, and he, he says, you know, for I, I live in eager expectation and hope that I will never do anything that causes me shame but that I will always be bold for Christ. And I'm going to continue to do what I've been doing in the past and that my life will always honour Christ, whether I live or whether I die. For, for me, for to me, living is for Christ and dying is even better. And then he goes on to this little argument, you know, is it better that I die or is it better that I keep going? I don't really know which. Wow. Paul really lived for Christ, didn't he? To the point that death, if it meant living for Christ in death, he would do that. Most of us want to hang on to our life for dear life. You know, we don't want to die. That would be the worst thing that could happen to us. And Paul says, well, I'm not really sure. I'm sort of tossing it up. Because if I die, I'll go to be with Jesus and that would be great. That would be wonderful. But if I live, I'm going to live for him as well. And, you know, while I'm alive, I'll keep living. Wouldn't that change the way that we lived our lives? I think, I think God's saying to us today, how much do you love me? I want you to live for me, even if it means dying. I wonder if there's any modern day examples of this. Now, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, you know, one of the extreme examples is this girl. Her name's Cassie Burnell. And um, she's one of the girls that sort of came out of, one of the stories that came out of the um, carnage that happened in Littleton, Colorado. See, Cassie Burnell was 17 years old and she was a student at Columbine High School. 
And um, she, she'd dabbled in witchcraft in the couple of years before. Um, but then she became what Time magazine report, reported as a born-again Christian. And on Tuesday, the April, April the 20th, 1999, she heard gunfire run out, uh, a shootout in, in her school. And so she ran to the school library. And moments later, Eric Harris and Dylan Niebold, two of her fellow students who had taken guns and just tried to kill as many people as they could, they entered the library. And this is what Time magazine reported. The girl, Cassie, was asked by the gunman if she believed in God, knowing full well the safe answer. There is a God, she said quietly, and you need to follow along God's path. The shooter looked down at her and said, there is no God, and he shot her in the head. When I read how she lost her life, I thought, what? I felt deeply grieved. Felt like it was such a waste of, of her life. But, you know, God had other things in mind through that horrible tragedy. I, I got an email just after the time from a pastor who was in Colorado, a youth pastor, and he talked about what happened at Cassie's funeral. He said um, that he went to the funeral and that he heard how Cassie was totally anti-Christian two years ago. She was involved in witchcraft and was very suicidal. Her parents forced her kind of into um, the past youth pastor's office one day. And um, she sat down and she walked out and the pastor was sort of thinking after he'd met with her, what a lost cause this girl was. But through prayers of her church and her youth group and her parents and a youth pastor, Cassie, about six months later, walked back up to the youth pastor and said, you'll never guess what I did today. I gave my life to Christ. And from that point on, she made a radical commitment to him. She became almost like an evangelist on campus. The funeral showed videotapes of her sharing parts of her testimony, and they were powerful at the funeral. And it's because of that faith, that radical commitment to Christ, that she was able to say in those moments, yes, I believe in Jesus, which was what they reported that she said. From that statement, she was killed. And the writer of this email says, I can only say that her parents were devastated, that they were proud of their daughter. But at the funeral, an invitation was given for people who would like to give their lives to Christ. And 75 kids made first-time commitments to Christ. At the funeral, uh, they saw so many people come to Jesus. And he finishes this email saying, I feel honoured to have been able to witness such an event and watch God at work through her death, bringing life to so many others. Well, you can think of things in your situation now, in your day-to-day lives, where you're perhaps grumbling and moaning and complaining. Perhaps you're criticising other churches or you're criticising God or whatever. And God wants to use those circumstances in your life this morning to advance the gospel in your life, in the life of other people. And he wants to bring about new life in you. You're willing to live for him and if necessary, to die for him. Because the call to being a Christian is not obeying nice little moral rules so you become a good person. It's about radically, without reserve, giving your life to Jesus Christ, having a relationship with him that enables you to live for him no matter what, even in the face of death. Why don't we pray right now? God, we're not interested so much in uh, building an organisation here. We're interested in this church becoming a group of people that are radically committed to you, Lord Jesus. God, we pray you give us the courage 
the confidence to live for you in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. And may we be those that say, oh, for me to live is to live for you, Lord Jesus. And if I have to die for you, God, here I am. Could be this morning that you have sensed God saying to you, give yourself fully to me. And maybe that you've known that he's been wanting you to go into some kind of full-time ministry. Maybe you feel like he's calling you to being a pastor or maybe to be a missionary, to go overseas, to help in the persecuted church. Maybe in these moments you might just want to say, yes, Lord, I want to give myself fully to you. could be this morning that you've realised that you've sort of thought that the work that God's put you in isn't the place where you should be. And maybe you felt that you really should be somewhere else, but now you're realising that God wants you to just share for him right where you are, right there in that job he's, he's led you to. Maybe right now just say in your heart, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And now if you're don't know whether you've really ever come to Jesus and given your life to him. Maybe now as you realise the cost involved, you know, that, that he died for you and that he loves you and he wants you to live for him. Perhaps now might be a time for you to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, God, we thank you. Thank you that you loved us enough to die for us so we might live for you. God, help us live for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now in these few moments, there's just a blue card in, inside the news sheet. It just has um, spots for you to put your name and address. It would be great if you just filled that out. And this morning, we just want to give you a moment to respond. You, know, you might want to just tick. You know, at this church, we don't have older calls where people come down the front and all that. But we do have opportunities for you just to respond to Jesus just by filling in that card and saying, yep, today that's what I've done. Why don't you just take some moments as you fill out that card and respond.